Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Welcome to this week's episode of On the Up and Up. Um, Today is an important one, and it's one of the questions that I get the most when helping small businesses not only hire their first few team members, but to reclassify contractors into their correct roles. And it is one of the most important decisions that you can make in regards to setting the tone and the foundation for how you hire people in the future and what you're paying them. Um, And it's not quite so much of a what can I afford situation, but it's more of an intertwined look at several different areas of people operations. What you pay someone is affected by kind of the who, what, where, when, why of the role in general, what you need them to do, where you need them to do it who you want them to be, when you want them to work, what is the point of all of it, what is the purpose of their role, how is it actually affecting your bottom line and the ROI that you're getting on your people, and also how are they working, how much you're training them, how they're performing the duties, what systems they're using. So with that, I'm sure you can just see and you have experienced that it can sometimes feel impossible to nail all of this down into one decision, one strategy that is embodied by the amount of money that's going out of our bank account. So before I get you too overwhelmed, we've broken it down into a few different um, smaller discussions to consider when you're making these choices. And I know that a lot of this is going to be like, oh my God, like I never knew that or that scares me or oh crap, am I doing something wrong? So just want to encourage you to know that in a lot of this stuff, you're not doing it wrong. There are safeguards built in to the way that you're doing things. Um, if you have an, a great payroll company, um, they're not going to let you pay people less than minimum wage, for example. Um, and it will draw your attention to certain things. You may not know how to answer those questions, which is how strategic people operations pros like myself can help you with that. Um, but it is important because if you don't know what those roadblocks are going to be before you start the hiring process, then you might end up making decisions that are not going to be relevant to what you're actually allowed to do. So, for example, thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to hire this person. They're going to work this many hours a week and I'm going to pay them a thousand bucks. That'll get me my ROI because I know I can make more than a thousand dollars on the output that they're creating. Well, that's hard because we need to know where they live because that may not meet the potential requirements. We need to know when they're working because we're required by law to be able to explain to people what their rights are as employees when we bring them in. Um, We need to know if they are classified as a contractor that they are legally allowed to be a contractor or massive penalties will come with that. And a lot of times when we have clients or we have, you know, 
people that we interact with or people that I've met that have been in trouble for these types of things in the past, it has been completely unintentional. But keep in mind that most of these laws are put in place in order to protect people because not everybody is a very kind, giving, and helpful business owner. There are so many businesses out there that literally need to be told that you can't exploit people. And that is where they come from. So while it might feel like a little bit of a pain to us, um, it's not our decision to make how people are classified. You can go back and listen to previous episodes where we dive a little bit into that. But for today, we're just going to focus on four main themes of how to know what to pay your team. The first is their classification. And again, not going to dive into this too much, but the who, what, where, when, why, and how is going to identify whether this role needs to be an employee or a contractor. And while that is a very important conversation, it is one that we do not need to talk about today. There's plenty of materials out there, including episodes of this podcast that you can review you to ensure that you're classifying people correctly. Um, I also have a resource for you from a friend of ours, friend of the pod, Braden Drake, who has created a uh, very thorough legal guide on the classification laws in each state and the implications that come with them. So I will make sure and link that in the show notes. And I believe it's only $10, maybe 30, but I think it might be $10. So it's a great thing to have on deck if and when it's time for you to make these decisions. Um, Lawyers and HR people really hold hands when it comes to this area. I like to think of HR as the preventative measures, so kind of like your preventative healthcare, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we got in there early enough to do all the prevention that we needed. And so an attorney that you trust um, that can advise on this if you do get in trouble for it is going to be really important. Um, And your attorney that is drafting your contracts will likely be able to make sure that you are fully aware of the extent to which you can have certain clauses and contracts. Keep in mind that business owners, the business owner, is responsible for the people that are producing work for their business. So that means that you're responsible for making sure that they are classified correctly. We want to empower contractors to advocate for themselves and things like that. Um, But and and then we do want to do that for sure. I mean, we're I'm a contractor too. I want to make sure that I'm working within the confines of my expectations and what we can do for businesses and the areas in which we can dip in and dip out. But I think that one of the things that we don't realize as business owners is that it's not someone else's responsibility to tell us whether or not our people are classified correctly and to inform the people that we're classifying and paying them um, of their rights and responsibilities. And it is to that extent that you may end up in some hot water. So keep in mind, it's your responsibility. The I didn't know or whatever um, excuses are not going to work when it comes down to those classification issues. Um, The second thing that we're going to talk about is... and. And I I, I do say that to say, take it damn seriously. And also, this is an exciting moment. If you have people that you are working for that you're not sure what their classification should be, then you get to take a look at your business and your goals. And we're going to talk about that today, what you can afford and what's possible and what's next. So it's actually a really exciting moment um, for your business to have these concerns and questions. And if you've been messing up, it's okay. We'll fix it. (laughs) There are things that we can do on the 
after the fact side to make sure that it doesn't happen again and that your business is protected and that you are do we're doing everything we can to ensure that from this day forward now that you know that it's your responsibility that you are making those correct decisions um and the second thing here is that the time and nature of their time spent. So what that means when we're considering compensation, the first thing was about their classification. The second is thinking really deeply about the time and nature of their time spent. So when they're working and what they're doing, how they're working and what their job description requires of their time. So in this section here, the second section, we're going to be defining some kind of complicated terms, um, but I want to do it in a way that is going to tell a bit of a story so that you can really grasp on to the real meaning behind each of the terminology that you're going to see. Um, I'm not going to do too much myth busting because I think that's like a conversation that could go on forever in regards to some mistakes that we've seen made or um, when clients come and ask us before they make the mistake, like, is this correct? Like, it's a lot of the same things. And in job descriptions, in job posts, we see a lot of the same mistakes over and over and over over again. And you can pick it out uh, from a mile away if somebody has been working with an HR pro or not based on the laws that are broken, even in something as simple as the job post. And again, I'm not saying oh my gosh, you're going to get arrested because you posted a job post that wasn't, you know, ensured to be optimized or not have anything problematic in it. Um, but if you bring someone on under those false intentions and then something, it, it might not even end badly. Like it might end fine. And you still are going to be held accountable to the job post, the job descriptions, the documents that they're signing, things like that, how you're treating them. So when... Because there's going to be a lot of confusing terminology here, I'm going to keep it as basic as possible. But just know that we have a blog um, called Employee Classification that you can look up and find on our website. So you don't need to take any notes on this. Um, but if you have further questions, then check out the blog and then join us in Set to Scale so that we can help you to strategically build out the job roles and job descriptions and make sure that they're compliant. Um, our membership is a great place to share these documents before they go live to ensure that you're getting the most out of the experience of working with a new team member and bringing them on and onboarding them if you can't full, afford a full service HR program right now. So check that out. Check out the blog post. Again, linked in the show notes. Okay, so in this, in this section, the classification section, we're taking it one step further outside of kind of the umbrella of contractor employee. We're just talking about employees here. So fast forward five minutes if this is not something you're interested in, but the terms that we're going to be talking about are the difference between a full-time employee, a part-time employee, exempt versus non-exempt, and hourly versus salary. So all the time do we have people that are told that their salary is going to be XX amount when really it should have been your pay rate is going to be XX per hour. So keeping in mind that there are differences between all of these things. So let's dive in. And again, don't worry about taking notes. There's a whole blog about this, but really just kind of absorb it and understand it. Um, and you'll start to see what we're talking about. So in our blog, we talk a lot about the Fair Labor Standards Act. It's this old thing that the U.S. has basically built their our workers' rights on top of. It's a piece of legislation. It's probably like a million pages long. I have no idea. I've never read it, <laughs> but it does dictate a lot of what 
we can do and how we've created strategies within the confines of what the FLSA or the Fair Labor Standards Act have outlined for us. So essentially, what I'm going to talk about first is full-time versus part-time. So this is, out of all the classifications, this is the one that you get to decide what your employee is classified as. So if they're full-time or part-time. If your business has a, and why it's important, is if your business really works 35 hours in a week, and that's considered full-time. There is only 35 hours that the office is open in a week, that is as much as they could work, then you may classify your full-time employees as anyone as, and define them as anyone that works 35 or more hours per week for your business. Now, keep in mind that you can classify people as full-time or part-time. They can fluctuate. Some weeks they can be part-time working less than 35, but then randomly they might work a lot more than 35. And that's totally fine. That is something that's defined by the business. So no one's going to look at your employee handbook or your job post or whatever and say, oh, your full time is 20 hours a week? Like, okay, like, great. Like, you're illegal because you didn't do all these other things based on the full time classification. No, that's for you to to decide what you want in your company. And the reason that we define it is primarily for benefits. So when we know that we have a full time employee that's coming in and keep in mind, full time can be salaried or hourly. We'll get to that in a minute. But if you know that you have a full-time employee that you've hired to come in because you know that you have 40 hours of work a week for them to do, and you're bringing them in as a full-time employee, they can be salaried. You can give them a lump sum salary as long as it meets those qualifiers based on where they live and what their job duties are. Um, Or you can make them hourly, and they can still be classified as full-time. So just depending on where and how you run your business, you also could just have a team of all part-time employees or a team where you don't talk about that. Like it's you don't really care if they're full-time or part-time, um, but you lean into the next categories, which is which we're gonna talk about in a second. The full-time or part-time, the main thing that you wanna consider is how many hours a week that they're working that you consider as a company full-time. So that if you know that you have someone with full-time benefits, what does that look like for them? What expectations are on them? How can you ask them for different things that maybe your part-time employees wouldn't? And you'll notice, that that has nothing to do with clocking in and out or anything like that. That is the nature of an hourly employee, not a full-time or part-time one. Keep that in mind. Okay, so that's, you get to decide. Yay, fun, exciting, how your, you know, maybe your full-timers get health insurance and your part-timers don't, et cetera, et cetera. This is also a tool that you can use to manage your team. So if you start people out as part-time, part of a promotion might be moving up to full-time hours and benefits, higher income because their uh, hourly commitment is more, and they get additional benefits based on the fact that they have now are now committing more time to the company. So you can use that as a tool to help you to manage, promote, and create an upward mobility um, idea for your team. But it is up to you to decide what that looks like. The second two uh, kind of adversarial definitions that we're going to talk about are exempt and non-exempt or salary and hourly. So those are kind of two sides of the coin. They're not necessarily opposite, but they are something that every employee will have to have defined in their job description, in their job post, in their job duties. And based on these requirements or what they're what we're electing for them to be, that is going to indicate 
compliance rules, regulations, pay rate, all kinds of different stuff. And what it really comes down to, though, is a really good job description so you know what is expected of them. From there, we can advise you on how you're going to assign their exempt status or non-exempt status and how you're paying them, whether we think that it should be hourly or salary, what's best for the company. In some cases, there's going to be an advisement that we have you put someone on a salary because of the nature of the duties that they're doing. They have to be available at different times. They have to, um, some weeks are going to be really a lot different than others. Some are going to be longer than a 35 or 40 hour week and some are going to be much shorter, but you don't want their pay to be fluctuating um, because at the end of the day, you know that you're getting the return on the investment for the employee's pay. Um, We have a lot of We've had a lot of questions and clients and concerns about people that don't want their teams to track their hours. It's annoying. They don't like doing it when it comes to payroll, stuff like that. Um, I'm in the camp of as much as I love telling you things you want to hear. Most of the time, it's way better to create an environment where your team can start out as hourly and then work their way up to a salaried position because it will help you to track their track where their effort is going, especially if it's somebody new on your team, um, show you how long it's taking them to do certain tasks, how much time commitment is with certain employees, and make sure that you're paying for the time that they're sitting down at their computer. The other really cool thing about an hourly employee is that it allows your people that are not full-time, like this is their full-time job, it allows them to have a true separation. So it's not just like, I can slack you whenever I want and you have to answer. It's like, okay, I'm sitting in front of my computer. Yes, I have flex hours, but I clocked in, I'm working, now I answer what I'm supposed to be doing. So it helps you to stay compliant in regards to the kind of working off the clock laws. Um, There has been quite a few legal cases and precedents, which you can talk to a lawyer about, but, you know, we we create our strategies based on labor law, so you can speak to it in a pretty an experiential way, in a sense, because we've actually had people that have been in lawsuits about being fired because they clocked out and then they kept working, which is not allowed. And part of the reason for that and why it's really important for places like grocery stores or in-person businesses or you know, construction sites or whatever, is that when a when an employee is clocked out, they're no longer covered by insurance. So keep in mind that if something is to happen to that employee, they're not going to be covered by insurance anymore. So if they continue to work, then the company is assuming the risk. And so that is why companies are super strict about making sure that they have time on task and that people are clocked in when they're working and clocked out when they're not. Um, most companies understand that risk, especially you'll see in big corporations, they're very strict about time spent off the clock and still on the premises. So you might even have companies that if for online and remote work, it's a little bit different. I think that the main thing with that is just creating space and, and boundaries to ensure that your team doesn't feel like they're working 24 hours a day. Um, I love a set schedule with lots of flexibility. So like, Hey, you work nine to one every day, but you know, maybe three days out of the week, you're changing that a little bit. Oh, I'm going to clock in a little bit later my friend wants to go to lunch like I'm hourly so I can clock in the time from four to six and just like that open communication can totally be something that you facilitate salaried employees are going to get the same pay week to week regardless of how many hours they're working so if oftentimes you'll see a salary 
coupled up with exempt, which means that they're not eligible for overtime. So moving from an hourly conversation to a salaried employee, um, this is going to be someone that is required to work at a lot of different times of day. Um, there's a lot of trust built with them to be spending their time wisely. Um, I usually like to tell my full-time employees, here's how many hours a day that you have to work and here's how many hours a week you have to work and just let me know if there are changes in what that schedule looks like. And oftentimes when you can build that trust with your team, it creates a culture where people aren't going to be counting their minutes and seconds when they're on the clock. You don't want your salaried employees being like, oh my gosh, like I worked an extra 30 minutes on Saturday, so I should get to leave an extra like 30 minutes early on Wednesday. Like really, we want it to all kind of come out in the wash. They're going to be, and not only just for the benefit of the business when you have busy weeks, um, but also also for the benefit of the employee that they know that, hey, I only had to work 25 hours this week. Um, I'm going to use the rest of my time. You know, you want me to work 35. Um, I'm going to use the rest of my time for research or, you know, taking a little bit of extra time on this project or I have this idea for a blog we can do or, you know, things like that. Um, and they're using what we call discretionary effort to fill the remainder of their time. But that discretionary effort, we're giving that white space to our team as a result of no matter what their classification is. Our hourly employees generally are not going to have every single minute being a billable minute. There is going to be some out some space built in for team meetings, for co-working sessions, for you know, just time when they're independently working, stuff like that. I love hourly um, before you have someone on salary because it sets the right expectation. It sets the right standard. It helps you understand how they work. Um, but salary is so great when it's time to have a full-time employee that you know that those weeks are going to fluctuate a little bit. Um, other salaried uh, things to consider is that if you have somebody that's a creative, a salaried employee is usually going to be a better fit for a creative role, like a designer or a writer, um, if you have enough hours for them to work. Um, so keep in mind that we don't want our people to be like incentivized to take longer on tasks, but really we want to trust that they are going to use their time wisely and that they're going to be committed to the time that you're giving them. Um, that is not a something that can be sorted out through classification. That's going to be the way that you manage, develop, train, and lead them. My dog is crying because she just gets paid a salary and I make her work a thousand hours a week. Anyway, okay, so that is all to say that there are also additional laws for creatives, for computer scientists, where um, some things are going to take a really, really long time and some experts are going to take two seconds to do the same thing. Um, there are some additional stipulations, and I anticipate that a lot more stipulations will be built into our laws as time goes on, as you can't really exchange expertise for hours. And so as you hire more high-level people, then they're probably going to fit into that salaried category. So that brings us into the exempt versus non-exempt. So this is the thing that everybody gets really confused about. Um, exempt means that you're not eligible for overtime. And non-exempt means that you are eligible for overtime. So in every state, what qualifies as overtime is different. So keep in mind that while the FLSA says that anything over 40 hours in a work week, meaning Monday to Saturday or whatever you define with your company, um, some states will define that work week for you. Then anybody that's over that amount of time that is non-exempt, generally that's an hourly employee, gets paid time and a half. 
Um, however, you don't just get to say, oh, you're a hourly <laughs> exempt employee. So you have to work hourly, but and you get paid hourly, um, but you aren't eligible for overtime. You're not allowed to do that. So basically what we generally find is that most salaried employees are exempt, which means that they're likely not going to get paid. They're not going to be paid any extra if they work over 40 hours in a week or over eight hours in a day or whatever the case may be. And then they reap the benefits of a consistent paycheck regardless of what the company is, uh, financial situation is or, you know, whatever the case may be. So for small businesses, oftentimes we will run the risk of a non-exempt employee, someone who's eligible for overtime um, because the company benefits from having a way to go up and down based on the work that's required of the worker. So if you have a more advanced worker, so if you have somebody that's in your team that is a salaried exempt employee, then you likely are going to be able to measure their worth, whether they're working 20 hours or 40 hours a week. Um, sometimes that even means that maybe you have built into their schedule that they're on call for consulting advice on Slack or, you know, things like that, that we don't we can't we can't necessarily predict how much our clients are going to need on a week to week basis. So we build in that time so that our clients can be served. But we also want to make sure that if there is extra time, then they know what they're expectations are based on you know what their job is so again with all of this said um, if you are not sure about exempt versus non-exempt versus salaried or hourly the law is going to tell you that but defining full-time and part-time are going to be something that you can define for your business so the most common uh, combinations of these things are part-time hourly non-exempt which means that they're going to be paid overtime if they go over the limit of the legal hours in whatever jurisdiction that they're in, which your HR consultant can tell you based on your employee. Um, and a full-time salaried exempt employee um, is usually the other most common um, classification. There has been times when people are part-time but they get paid the same each week and they're exempt. So they're not necessarily tracking their time, but they just have to get everything done on a week to week basis. At the end of the day, all of these employees, regardless of their classification, have to understand what their responsibilities are, what their deadlines are, and how best to do their job. And your company, as a flip side of it, should benefit from them understanding and having clarity on those expectations. So what we like to do is reverse engineer it and take our classified correctly employees, create the job descriptions, make sure that we understand what is going to be committed to the employee and how our company can afford it before we assign any of these classifications. Um, if you do classify someone incorrectly, then you will absolutely get in trouble from the Department of Labor or the State Department of Labor, depending on where you are. And it really puts a blind spot on the way that your company is, your company reputation, the way you treat employees, things like that. Um, so yeah, please refer back to the blog for more information on that. Um, the third section that we're going to talk about today in regards to choosing compensation is the importance of big picture strategy, which I was just tapping into a little bit. So when you're choosing your first employee salary or your 10th, you have to make sure that you're considering the labor profit margins for what they're working on, making sure that you are going to be getting a return on investment for that employee. 
When you first bring on an employee, there's often going to be a bit of a plateau for an ROI for training purposes and things like that. Um, But if you have a crafted job description that lends itself directly to the way that your company is able to make money and ensure that ROI, that's what HR is all about. So being able to understand the margins of what work that they're doing it becomes less about who you're bringing in and more about bring them in and I will manage them into their success of their role. So it gives you a little bit more control and a little bit more understanding because you're providing those expectations and you're managing them into success, which in turn create an, a return on investment for your company. The second part of um, this third section of things to consider in compensation after labor profit margins and understanding that is the scalability. So if you have services that you are planning on scaling and you have a scalable role in your business, then that means that the more of the people that you employ in that role means that you can serve more clients, which means that your scalability is fair and equal. If you start somebody at the wrong pay, then that sets the standard for what you need to be paying for the rest of those employees. So if you're not taking into consideration the strategy in which what it looks like to scale these roles, then you may be setting yourself up to overpay for roles that you may not necessarily be able to afford to scale. And we see this unfortunately happening a lot um, because there may be a Google search or something that goes into creating a compensation plan. It costs the company too much to maintain and it becomes impossible to scale without then backing us into a corner of discrimination against future employees. So you can't hire somebody at a $80,000 salary and then somebody else to come in at the at a $25,000 salary. Um, that just, it's not allowed, like it's literally illegal. And one of the ways that uh, companies or the government and um, the labor boards and things like that are looking to protect employees is by pay transparency. So if you're ever wondering why it matters, it's because pay transparency is super important. It's not to say that everybody's work is valued at the same rate, but just to make sure that they're within the same range. Um, so you have to set your business up for success there, or you could not only be in trouble for breaking laws under the FLSA, but you could also be in trouble for breaking laws about discrimination if you can't prove that you did your due diligence to ensure that you're taking care of the people the way that you are supposed to. And then uh, finally, the cost of benefits and perks and insurance. It's super important to make sure that you understand the true cost of your employee based on your benefits packages. So your salary is going to be completely separate from your overall compensation package. Your salary plans, your your hourly rates, your um, offer letters, you know, what you're actually saying, hey, I want to pay you X amount for X time or this salary per year for 40 hours a week or whatever, um, those are all going to be supplemented by your benefits and perks. And being able to adequately understand the value of those can actually make you a really competitive employer in ways that you don't even realize that you're already competitive. For example, the out-of-pocket cost for a flexible schedule is nothing for your company, but it could be, well, most of the time it's nothing, at least strategically we can make it so that it's almost nothing, Um, but it could be something that could be valued as thousands of dollars based on your employees time that they might be getting for you know basically paid for this flexible time so knowing how to calculate those things is something that's really difficult and it's also really important um, because it may help you to create offers that are irresistible for your ideal employee coming into your business Um, so as a result of that we have over the past few months we've been creating these custom employee cost calculators for our clients and i think that we figured out how to make it super general as a template that we could share with 
with all of you. So you will find a link to the employee cost calculator in our show notes, as well as a tutorial on how to use it for your business. Um, So make sure and check that out in our set to scale shop. Finally, we have the fourth part of how much should I pay this person, (laughs) Um, which is our location compliance. So basically, because a lot of us have remote teams, I just wanted to touch on, I don't subscribe to location-based pay. Like if somebody applies to a job and they're like, oh, they're in Nebraska, I can pay them less because they live in a low income state or a a low cost of living state. Oh, they're in California. I'm going to avoid them altogether. That's actually not going to set you up literally at all. Um, Because what it's going to do is it's going to not allow you to get the best possible applicant or the best possible employee for the job. Um, There is definitely going to be conversations around location-specific pay once you have decided who you want to have working for you, especially when it comes to meeting minimums. So if you, for example, that doesn't, but that doesn't mean they're not allowed to do the job that you're advertising. If your job description is compliant, then it will be legal in all 50 states if you are requiring it to be a U.S. citizen. So what does that mean? So if in New York, the weekly minimum for salary, so minimum wage essentially for a non-exempt or an exempt salaried employee, so someone you just want to pay an amount and they work 40 hours a week, um, is like $1,000. So, or something like that. I don't know. I don't have it open with in front of me, but that's great because I don't want you writing this stuff down because who knows, this could be out of date and then you're yelling at me, whatever. So just keep in mind, it's like a thousand bucks. Whereas in the Federal Labor Standards Act, it's like 684 or something like that. So everywhere else in the country, it's you can get a full-time employee for $684 a week as an exempt employee. The government has somehow decided that people can live on that amount if they're working as that being their primary objective and their primary job for 40 hours a week, not needing to get a second job in some states. That is not the case in New York. That's not the case in California. That's not the case in um, Colorado, but it may be the case in many states. So for that reason, or Washington or Oregon, whatever, um, we could go on and on about this. But essentially, we want to make sure that when we are advertising for new positions, when we're deciding how much our company can pay, that we decide what our company can pay first, and then we can reverse engineer and classify those employees to build out um, their roles and their specifics based on where they live. So what this is going to do is it's going to create a and a capability for you as an employer to get all of the best possible applicants and talent applying for the jobs. So if, for example, you want to hire a HR consultant or an HR representative for your team, and the average cost of a HR representative for a company that is a small business, according to a bunch of data that your HR team mined and put together through the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, because that is what it is to figure out how much someone should get paid if you want to get really strategic about it, um, then you might put together a job description that outlines that this is going to be a role that is going to pay between fifty dollars and $65,000 a year, and you must live in the United States. So at the end of the day, if you have somebody apply for this role and they end up living in New York, where the minimum salary requirement is $1,000 a week, that means $52,000 a year. They're not going to be able to be classified as an exempt employee if you offer them $50,000 a year. They will have to be classified as a non-exempt hourly employee, but their total compensation can still add up 
to the $52,000 a year. It's just about how you're putting it on paper and helping them understand it. Yes, if they're non-exempt, that means they're eligible for overtime. So you will want to make sure that you are letting them know that you are that they are only required to work the 40 hours a week and anything over that, they're eligible for overtime. But ideally, you would have designed this job to not go over the 40 hours a week anyways. And then it becomes more of a discussion about performance and not being able to manage their time instead of you having to pay a bunch more money for someone that may not perform as well just because you want because they may take more time to do tasks, which opens up a whole can of worms about accessibility and being able to be an inclusive and diverse culture. And um, it shows that there's a value in your company for speed versus quality, which in some cases that may be the case, but that is likely not if you're hiring somebody to come into your business. So yes, set your budget, figure out their classification, figure out what your margins are, Make sure that you understand the total cost of the employee for your business prior to posting a job ad. Um, and make sure that you are compliant on the pay rate when it's time to offer that position out there into the world. Um, do you get to choose whether or not, like if you're like, hey, I don't want anyone to apply from California or New York, I would highly suggest you not doing that. It looks really weird. Um, it, people are going to be like, why don't you want to hire people that live in those states? That's like cheap. And it just shows that it doesn't matter who this person is as long as they don't cost a lot. Um, things like that. People can read between the lines. And you want to give everybody an equal chance to apply regardless of where they live or how they live or who they are um, and you can always make sure that you're reversing reverse engineering their classification to accommodate for that so I hope this was empowering and it gave you lots of things to think about when it comes to how to decide what to pay people I know it was a very heavy episode in regards to information so please refer back to our blog that I mentioned earlier where it has everything kind of sorted out and listed out here um, and don't forget to leave us a review. It would mean the world, especially if you learned something new or thought about something in a different way. Um, and on that note, make sure that you check out the Set to Scale shop and we will include the link to the, um, I'm, I think it's going to be like a tutorial and m employee cost calculator because it would be really difficult for you to figure out how to use it on your own. So we will have that available in the shop right when this posts. So thanks so much for listening and have a great rest of your week. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up. <laughs>